Lord God, in the hearing of your word and by your Holy Spirit. May your kingdom come to our minds and to our hearts this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Do please sit. Well, the news from Norway seems unbelievably awful, doesn't it? A man gathers young people to tell them what's happened in Oslo, and as they've gathered, he starts to shoot them. When there is panic and there are people running every which way, they run towards safety, towards a man in a police uniform, who then takes out his gun and starts shooting again. Death comes from the very place where they were looking for safety. It is the essence of betrayal, and it's betrayal that concerns us this morning. Betrayal as individuals, perhaps, but particularly for the community of God's people, the church. Of course, betrayal is part of life. Until the Norway story we've been reading, uh, all that's been going on in the hacking scandal uh, with the news of the world, with people betrayed as they thought they were having conversations that were private and discovered they weren't, as people were betrayed, as we've been betrayed, by thinking that our authorities uh, and structures have one kind of integrity to them and we discover that they haven't. Please turn to the book of Obadiah that uh, Catherine read earlier. It's opposite page 925. It is a story of betrayal. And it's been used down the years whenever God's people have felt betrayed. Between the time of the return of the Jews from exile and uh, uh, the, the opening uh, of the New Testament period. There were Jews who at first had thought that Rome would provide stability, who then discovered that Rome was not to be relied upon. And they used Obadiah as a way to consider Rome. In the days of the Reformation, the Protestants felt that they were being betrayed by the older brother at Rome. Today, there has been an event uh, uh, in Oslo as Christians and Muslims and other faiths have gathered together to both uh, stand in solidarity to condemn what has happened, but also to pray. Today, there are Christians standing in solidarity with the world of Islam, a world uh, represented in two communities, both of whom name Abraham as the founder. And yet who can tell in years to come who may feel betrayed? And in the ancient period from which this book comes, the focus was on the people of Edom. Now, if you're lucky, uh, uh, it's totally random, I think, this, you'll have in the back of your church Bibles a set of maps, and the first map will tell you where Edom is. 
See if you've got it, and then I'll explain where it is for those who are not lucky. I cannot believe we bought Bibles without maps. How can you live without maps? Okay. In your mind's eye, for those of you who don't have access, you can't see it. Um, uh, In your mind's eye... Imagine a line running down from the Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea. And then keep going about as far again, and you'll come to the old city of Ezion Geber, which is now Elat. And Elat sits at the uh, tip of the eastern arm of the V that creates the Sinai Peninsula. And that line that you've just drawn down from Dead Sea down to Elat, Ezion Geber, To the east of that, that was Edom. Edom was huge by comparison to the relatively small territory of Israel and Judah. It needed to be huge because it was mostly desert. There wasn't much uh, growing space in it. And where it came from, as far as they were concerned, was the ancient split between Jacob and Esau. The two brothers coming from their mother's womb, Esau the elder, uh, called a, a hairy man, that's what his name means, but it also connects to the word red, and Edom means red. It is a red territory because of the red sandstone desert. Uh, there's uh, a lot of hunting goes on there, a lot of hunting with bows, bows mean uh, uh, bows and arrows, that means war. They were renowned uh, for their warrior capacity. They were also known for their wisdom. In the ancient world, it was a center of uh, of wisdom. But this was the sense of uh, brotherhood that went on. This is what they should have been like. Esau and and uh, and Jacob, two brothers uh, uh, together. But let's let's have the slide, if we may, please, Robin. Now, I I looked at this earlier, and I realized we have a problem. I'll try and explain it, because you can't actually read it from too far away. Um, There are some some kings here who are a bit of a disaster, okay? Um, And uh, they're completely unable to to prevent, firstly, a siege of of Jerusalem just after 700, uh, and then a a taking into exile by the um, country of Babylon just before 600. So there you see, for example, Daniel is taken hostage. Now, while they are in exile, there are those still left uh, who are, uh, whose job is to lament before the Lord. And one of them is Obadiah. And that's his period, that little arrow there. While everyone's from the southern kingdom is in exile. They've had great battles, they've had sieges, and finally, Babylon has won. And the whole book is about a moan. It is a sacred moan from the prophet Obadiah that says to Edom, to Esau, to the brother people, when Babylon came, you did not stand up for us. So Obadiah, the prophet, and we'll turn to his words now, he goes on the the attack declaring God's judgment against Edom. And firstly, in verses 1 to 9, he outlines what is going to happen. And we can race through this. From verses 1 to 4, God will humble you. Verses 5 and 6, bandits will plunder you. 
Verse 7, allies will betray you. Verse 8, your wives will be destroyed, and they were renowned for being wise, the people of Timan, the capital. And verse 9, your warriors will be cut down. God will humble you. Bandits will plunder you. Allies will betray you. Your wives will be destroyed, and your warriors will be cut down. That's what's going to happen, Edom. And why will it happen? Verses 10 to 14, because... When Israel was being sucked dry, you stood by. When Israel, that is your brother Jacob, was threatened, you stood by. You stood by. Then actually you cast lots. Who's going to have the fun, the privilege of plundering Israel as she gets taken away to Babylon? You rejoiced and you looted. You actually waited to cut down those who were running away. As though there had been two gunmen on that island. And when one fired and everyone ran in, the other dire- in one direction, there was another one waiting to cut them all down. That's how Eden behaved. That's what will happen. That's why it will happen. And how is it going to happen? Well, verses 15 to 16. The day of the Lord is coming for all nations. All nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. The judgment that you're going to get, Edom, is simply being done to as you did. You will receive back what you gave in destruction. And then there's going to be a final outcome. And as uh, Jonathan's already commented, on Mount Zion, though, verse 17, there will be deliverance. It will be holy. It's scary to read this and realize, if you do what I had to do, of course, which is to read it up, because you know, if you hadn't been given a page number, you wouldn't have found it, and frankly, probably it would have taken me a while. What's scary to realize is that this all happened. Jacob, we're told, will burn up Esau, and there will be various destructions of Edom. The people from the north of Edom will take over Edom's mountains, squeezing it from the north. Benjamin, the people from the east of Judah, will take over the west of Edom, squeezed from the west, pushed back into the desert, the most useless land. The exiles that return from Babylon, and you can see what happens up here, the... um, There's the Babylonian exile. But once Persia defeats Babylon, the kingdom of the empire of Persia starts to let the exiles return. So Zerubbabel leads the return. It's only, what, just over 100 years that they're away. When the exiles return from Babylon, they will spread north and south to take over Edom, and Edom will be governed from Jerusalem itself. And amazingly, Edom disappears from the historical record at exactly the time that the exiles return from Babylon. It looks as though Edom simply ceases to exist. It's squeezed into non-existence. And the kingdom, we read in verse 21 
will be the Lord's. I, I, I don't know how you kind of take this sort of material. Uh, I get a tremendous thrill out of finding these words, and I hear Teman and Esau and Edom, and it's just a jumble, if I'm honest, quite often. But then I do some work, and I check it over against other things that I know from Scripture. And I find that Scripture works. And I find it's a thrill. But it is very scary in this particular case. Because we're promised, in verse 15, the day of the Lord. And you think, well, when was that? Well, there are a number of times that we can say the day of the Lord came for Edom. We can say it came when the exiles returned from uh, Babylon. We can say it came later, when by the time the Romans were appointing governors and prefects and all the, the paraphernalia of their charge, there was no Edom. They created a a, a new territory, uh, which had some overlap with it, but it had ceased to be. You could say the day of the Lord came for them when Jesus Christ was born, because the kingdom will be the Lord's and he is the king coming to claim his own. Or we could say that the day of the Lord is still to come, because our God saves and we still await the day when suffering will end when judgment will be cast, when those who have inflicted terrible pain in our world, and this weekend is just a reminder of it, will face their judge. But before we work out when it is, let's work out who this is. Who is it that stands in, as we read this now, who is it that stands for Edom? Well, as I say, over the years, it's been different bodies. It's been Rome at one point. I'm not sure it matters. The point is it's those who betray. It is whoever has defeated God's people and made them bitter with that bitterness that comes from betrayal. Perhaps you know that proverb that says, there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And if you have such a friend in your life, you are most fortunate. But of course, we often say, well, that's Jesus. There is no friend closer than him, and he sticks closer than a brother. But there is also that psalm, Psalm 55, verse 12, that says, if it were an enemy that had done this to me, I could have borne it. But it was you my familiar companion, the one with whom I've been in fellowship as we went up to the temple together. It is not an enemy that has done this, but it is you. And there is that betrayal that is more bitter than any other defeat. And so I guess Edom is simply a a sign, a signal for every bitter defeat that we may know. And of course, we cast around in our own life and say, well, is that me now, personally? And it may be. It may be that that's what you're dealing with. If it isn't what you're dealing with now, you know that it has been at some time in the past, and it probably will be at some time to come. But it is also those times when the whole church of God feels completely defeated by those around who they thought were their friends. 
Think of those uh, Arab societies. Kaichu prayed for Christians in Iraq. Arab societies like those in Iraq and Syria, where Christians and Arabs have been relatively at peace. But now, with militant Islam on the rise in some of those countries, the Christians are being pushed out. They've, They've existed side by side, comfortably, with others who have named Abraham as their founder. But now they are pushed out, rejected, and persecuted. And they know defeat in those places. How bitter they must feel. A day of the Lord will come for Edom. Think of that betrayal that Jesus knew. The kiss in the garden from Judas. From the one that he'd spent time with, who had been beside him, who'd shared that last meal with him. How bitter that betrayal was. And so we need to remember what Obadiah didn't yet know. That Jesus dies for those who betray us. That Jesus dies for us who betray others, if we're honest, from time to time. Jesus dies for all betrayal when he takes upon himself the sin of the world on the cross of Calvary. Those who betray God, his people, his church, they will perish, that is true. But that offer from the cross of Christ is open to all betrayers, and that may be us as well as others. Those who betray the church of God will perish, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. Suffering will end. How does one say that to the people of Norway this weekend, except to say it and say it and say it again, that if there is a God who has known the cross, then he alone has the right to say, Suffering will end. Betrayal will meet its final challenge. There will be judgment and there will be mercy. God is in charge. We're told that the rainbow will rule, but only while seed time and harvest endure. The day will come when God will pick up that bow once again visit judgment on all those who, for whatever reason he feels appropriate, deserve it, on all those who cannot yet cast themselves on the mercy they find in that other symbol of the cross. But for those who know that mercy, and it may be us who have betrayed, it may be we who have felt betrayed, But for all who can enter into that mercy, then the rainbow will continue to rule and God's gracious covenant will stand over us in love, not only till seed time and harvest endure, but forever after as it changes into the form of the cross. Let's pray.
Lord God, our heart goes out to those who are suffering this weekend. To parents dealing with loss and with rage. with knowing betrayal and with the fury of wanting revenge. How extraordinary that your word should have an answer even for the issue of betrayal. Not one, perhaps, that is ours this day, but one that will come to us one day, because it's part of life, and we will know that bitterness. There may be those we have offended and betrayed, and we ask your forgiveness. We know that forgiveness is only found in the cross of Christ. And we pray for all those in deep distress this weekend. That they may discover the character of God in the cross. And find there an answer as that day of the Lord of crucifixion deals with all rage and betrayal. May they themselves find your mercy. And may all your people who feel that others are betraying them around the world and involved in persecution, may they take heart from your word, from knowing that no betrayal escapes your eye and no sinner escapes your love. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.